All right. We are back with a quick follow-up to the previous episode. Sub-episode? I don't know what you want to call it. So uh, there were a couple of things that we wanted to follow up on from uh, Episode 8, The Elysian Kingdom. One of the things that came up in the discussion of that was that the crew makes mention when they find the nebula, I guess is the right word, that um, perhaps it's a Holtzman brain, and uh, neither one of us knew really what that was. Was it Holtzman or Boltzman? I thought it was Holtzman with an H. Uh, it's Boltzman with a B. Oh, okay. I did some... Uh, <laughs> clearly, I uh, don't even have a good memory. I looked up the right thing, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so a Boltzmann brain is... It was a thought experiment that came out in the late uh, 1800s. So this is not a recent thing. So it's some trust fund kids talking in a coffee house. Yeah, it really, that's yeah, kind of what it is. Did you look any of it up? No, but I'm just, I mean, anytime you say thought experiment, that's where my mind goes. So uh, again, this is a thought experiment in the late 1800s. And uh, ultimately what this, the, the Boltzmann brain is, is they are making mention of how complicated the universe has to be for you to be here right now. You know, how many... Uh, ancestors do you have to have and meet that create you how many you know atoms and planets and yeah i mean we're we're all made of parts of exploded stars so, so you know that basically the, the the conclusion is that for me to be sitting here talking to you on this microphone took the you know 10 bajillion coincidences to happen for me to be here and apparently um the Boltzmann brain was a thought experiment about it's actually more likely for a completely random set of particles to form in space and form a human brain complete with the memories of a full lifetime than it is for the universe to align in the exact way that it did for me to be where I am today. So it's not necessarily about a consciousness or an entity it's more of it's more of an experiment in numbers in probability it just happens right. to be about a brain forming in the middle of nowhere and there was some the what i saw was the the likelihood of a boltzmann brain forming like they had done the math and again this is just random particles colliding and forming in the middle of nowhere that happens to form a human brain with complete with memories was, uh, if I remember right, it was 10 to the 10th power to the 50th power. So clearly, I mean, like the odds are completely stacked against this ever happening, but it's so much more mathematically probable for that to happen than the universe to align the way that it is right now. So it's kind of strange that they, number one, that's an extremely obscure reference. Yeah, it's weird that, I mean, it's weird that anyone wrote this down. Oh, I mean, I'm kind of a science nerd and I've never heard of this before. So here we are, you know, what are we in, in, in Strange New Worlds? Are, are we in the 24th century? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're before that, but uh, I'd have to look. I'm not sure exactly. We're two or 300 years in the future and I really don't feel like people at two or 300 years in the future are going to remember the Boltzmann brain. Cause it's such a weird concept. Right. 
But that was that. Just wanted to do a little deep dive on that. Did come up in that episode. You know, Star, I mean, this is this is a, a crime that Star Trek commits pretty often, where uh, the the people living in that time have some <laughs> very uh, you know apropos twentieth century references at hand. You know they'll ref- they'll make reference to things casually make reference to things that occurred in the twentieth century. Right, right. It happens all the time. I mean, like you could argue that Sherlock Holmes is relatively famous, but fast forward four hundred years in the future when they're on the holodeck, are people really going to be talking about Sherlock Holmes? I mean, maybe because Sherlock Holmes is is pretty big in the canon. I mean, there's been all kinds of you know how many times has that story been told? So that one I don't have a problem with. But yeah, like. This this like thought experiment that happened in the eighteen hundreds, we're still gonna be this is gonna be common knowledge in, in the I mean, I guess it's you know, uh Hemmer mentions it. Umbenga says, you know, yeah, I think I heard something about this, but I don't really I don't really remember what it was about. So it, it wasn't something that they're like, Oh yeah, the Boltzmann brain, we we all know about that. We that's that's you know, in chapter three of the philosophy course we all take at the academy. I mean, they weren't they weren't all familiar with it, but um you know, yeah, Hemmer knows this for some reason. Why? Right. Yeah, Hemmer <laughs> knew it, and the doctor didn't. Right. Anyway, the, the point I just wanted to circle back on that because I, I thought it, maybe Boltzmann is huge on Andoria. Like he's right. He's the he's got. I mean, this whole the Boltzmann brain has a pretty serious Wikipedia page. I mean, there's there's a lot has gone into this, so I suppose it's possible that they would know about it in the future. But I find it slightly improbable yeah. just because it's not the most appropriate to traveling around in space, so to speak. Right. The other thing that I wanted to talk about that we didn't really know a whole lot about was exactly how the, the warp drive works. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I mean, you know, let's not say didn't know more like didn't want to admit to how about that? (laughs) All right. Okay. Or just didn't think it was important getting into the nitty gritty of that in, in during the podcast. But no, I mean the the warp drive is it's it's a theoretical concept that didn't originate with Star Trek. Um, it had appeared in some science fiction prior to that, um, and it's based on some theoretical physics. So I mean, there's some hand waviness going on, but there are some actual principles that it's based on. Uh, and again, I think that's probably mostly due to the fact that it existed prior to Star Trek, because Star Trek just makes stuff up if they need to. <laughs> but in this case, they lifted something that that a harder science fiction author had had come up with already. Let so just to clarify what we're talking about. So, so science has proven. I mean, that's ultimately what E equals M C squared is: is that no object or particle can travel at the speed of light, and yeah, that is the speed limit it will require essentially infinite energy to push yourself to go that fast. So that is that is the fastest that anything in the known universe can go. And even though Star Trek is a fiction show and, you know, there's aliens and phasers and transporters, they are still beholden, at least in this universe, to the speed of light. Right. For uh, storytelling purposes, they need a way around that because space is just plain big and empty. And if, you know, we just could go a fraction of the speed of light, most of Star Trek would be just watching, you know, black screen or the occasional star. Right. Well, and they also need for there to be a reason that the Enterprise is transporting, you know, these energy uh, modules to Starbase, whatever. Because with uh, if they were traveling at the speed of light, not only would it take hundreds or thousands of years for them to get there, but it would be, uh, you know, 
thousands or tens of thousands of years on the space station before they arrived. So uh, relativity would be a big problem. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And so they solve both of those things with warp drive. Basically, warp drive is the idea that you are creating a bubble around the ship using uh, a a very high-powered energy source to warp space-time such that the speed of light is no longer in effect. The, the, The speed limit is not in effect. So that light will travel faster than it normally would. So the the light, the speed of light is still the speed limit, but now light will move faster in this bubble. Right. And I, I didn't realize I, I'd never put two and two together until I started looking it up, that that's why it's called the warp drive, because it, like you said, it warps both space and time. It changes the rules and none of that is explained how they do that, and that's fine. They just no. make mention that that is how they get around this limit, is that they change the rules of things that apply to, you know, how how objects are allowed to travel, and, right. and so that's why it's called the warp drive and not the, you know, I don't know the hyperdrive or yeah, right, whatever or they call it from start from Star Wars. It's in this case, it's yeah, they're, like you said, they're changing the rules. You know, okay, the rules say we can't go faster. Well, then we got to change the rules. So they, they, they come up with a, a, a science-ish way to get around this. Yeah. And, and they stick to that. You know, they're pretty good about that in, I think, all of the Star Trek episodes or series. It, it's my understanding, and I just want to clarify this for myself. Warp 1 is the speed of light. Is that right? That is right. And then I believe Warp 2 is 10 times warp one. Yeah, it goes up. It goes up logarithmically basically from there, you know, so warp three is a hundred times the speed of light and it goes up significantly from there. And the theoretical max in any of the Star Trek universes is warp 10. I don't know why they chose warp 10. If there's something specific about that. Well, they just wanted 10 to be the highest basically. So there's one episode of Voyager where they actually do hit warp 10 and it causes all kinds of problems. Um, so it's very uncommon. You see, I mean, most of like, I think even in TNG, doesn't the show, I mean, like they kind of max out at like warp nine, right? Yeah. They basically, the, the amount of energy required again, it's, it's exponential. So we've moved the speed limit, but there still is one. And now at warp 10, you're getting up to where it's getting to the exponential energy required again. So that's why they say, you know, okay, warp 10 is the highest, but it's not possible to hit it because you need infinite energy to be able to move that fast. I forget the particular episode. I don't remember the plot, but what what they say, what happens in Voyager when they hit warp 10 is that Voyager actually exists in every point in space at the same time. So it actually ends up breaking physics because the Enterprise is in more than one place at one time. Right. I mean, ultimate, and that's the episode where I think Tom Paris and, and Janeway turn into lizards, and then they have a lay. Yeah, a. they have this whole like gets really, really wacky real quick. Do and and then the only other thing I want to talk about with relation to the warp drive is what powers the warp drive, right? It's the it's the dilithium crystals, right? Yeah, and it, they 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 have a matter matter antimatter reaction. So which which is a thing that 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 parts again. Uh, 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 I mean, it's theoretical, but it's pretty pretty well documented theory that um, you could have matter and antimatter colliding would generate an awful lot of energy, uh, much like smashing two atoms together with uh, nuclear fusion lets out tons of energy. Having matter and antimatter come into contact would also do that, and 
uh, rather explosively, potentially. That's why, you know, when like the warp core breach happens that creates this massive explosion is because if that if that reaction isn't contained, then it cascades and everything blows up. What what powered the the original series? Was it were there dilithium crystals back in the original yeah. series? Yeah, and dilithium is is that's like a a made up thing, but it's it's whatever material they're using to create this matter antimatter reaction is these dilithium crystals. So are there dilithium? I'm trying to remember. Are there dilithium crystals in Next Generation? They mention it. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Because one of one of the articles I was looking up was talking about the power source. And yeah, dilithium crystals came up several times. That's that's come up multiple times. Um, in but that's not the only type. It's not like fusion where there's only really one way to do it. Um, they make mention in Discovery that they use there's a spore drive. There, it's actually a, a biological life form that allows them to um, travel faster than the speed of light. There was I think it was the J.J. Abrams um, Star Trek. They had that red. Was it red antimatter? I think something like that. Yeah, they've they've ch- changed it up a bunch of times. Just to keep it interesting, it's not always the same thing, and it's not always um, uh, matter antimatter. But yeah, there's there's mention in that like the Romulans have a different way of doing it, and the Klingons have a different way of doing it. So anyway, so I, I just wanted to clear up what warp drive is and, and what the warp system is as far as how fast it is. So, I mean, when they do talk about going, I mean, I think it's pretty average or normal. They, they cruise at, you know, warp seven, warp eight kind of thing. Yeah. You know, if you do the math on that, that's, I'm going to do the math in my head. I mean, if each one is 10 times more than the previous you're like, I think warp eight, that makes it like a billion times faster than the speed of light. And that's really, really fast. Well, and then they have to do that to right. make show work where, hey, we're going to go from this one system to another in, in a couple hours. Like they, you know, they've got to do that. They have to be able to move at those speeds. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good system. I mean, it, 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 it lets them it lets them get away with not having to worry about relativity which is important and it lets them go at the speeds they need to, but not so fast that they can cross the galaxy in a day. So it keeps, it keeps the galaxy big. It keeps space, uh, mysterious. Whereas like in, in star Wars, it's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to fly across the galaxy in a couple of days or whatever it is. It makes the galaxy feel pretty small in star Trek. It feels a lot bigger. You you definitely get that impression in Voyager because they are I forget at the beginning they're seventy seven years when they get sent to the Delta Quadrant yeah seventy seven years I think they say something like if we travel at, at maximum warp yeah we're seventy seven years away you know and and you know that's a pretty decent ship traveling at, at rather high speeds so yeah so it's it's a good system for them because yeah again they can they can get to starbase 9 in 5 hours but then yeah it's also years to get across the galaxy well i i like that you know there are rules and they break those rules but they break them in a very consistent way they don't just say oh hey we figured out this new fancy thing and you know right. now these these rules don't apply the rules still apply we're just changing the rules essentially so it's a creative way around an actual scientific problem and it's the and there's there's it's theoretically possible so yeah i mean I, looking on wikipedia if i look up warp drive there's an entire wikipedia page that has very little to do with star trek i mean there's yeah. Star Trek on here but yeah you're right this 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 whole concept it, it says the general concept of warp drive is introduced by john w campbell in 1957 so uh 
yeah, I mean, this has been around for a while, so that's cool. Yeah. All right, there's a few things I wanted to cover because uh, we, we've we've admitted to our nerd crimes. We didn't sound like nearly enough nerds on that last episode, so I, you know, totally. Double- All right, I'm going to go clean my pocket protector now. We'll be back uh, probably next week. You don't have like three of them on standby like I do. You just have you like oh my my first pocket protector's in the wash. Let me get out the back while that one's cleaned. Yeah, okay. yeah. You gotta have you gotta have a, a wash day pocket protector. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, that's all I got. All righty.